This podcast was brought to you by withaim.co. Heading out to wonderful. Part 1. The Man Who Sins. Episode 6. The Quiet Wedding Night. When they got to the cattle guard at the end of the rutted dirt drive that led to the gravel road that led to the blacktop back to town, Sylvan touched Boaty's arm and said two of the only four words she was to say that day. Please stop. She said it in a gentle voice with an accent that was strangely refined. She turned her head and looked back through the cloud of dust at her family gathered on the porch. The father had joined his wife, his hand in her hand, both shy and sad. Around them, the brothers and sisters, one boy with a baby of his own on his arm, stood and stared. Sylvan looked for two full minutes, still not moving, like she was taking a photograph in her mind, the hot breeze from the road spinning blonde cobwebs of her hair around her head. Then the family all scattered, running off to do chores or play in the fields. The father stood alone on the porch, and the light caught the tears in his eyes as he forlornly waved at his leaving child, and she waved back, although he could never have seen her. She seemed to want to call out, to cry some last thing to him, but she made no sound at all. After a time, she turned back and looked straight ahead. There were tears on her cheeks, She didn't brush them away or try in any way to hide them. Now, Bodhi asked. She nodded, and they rode the twenty miles back to town in silence. At Bodhi's house, a justice of the peace waited, along with Will Hazlett and Alma, who had been called to be witnesses because Will was practically the only man around who would stand up for him. With them stood the foremen of two of Bodhi's farms, hired hands standing awkwardly in dirty shoes and clean white shirts buttoned at the collar, their big red hands fumbling with handkerchiefs in the heat. Sylvan signed some papers without even bothering to read them. What did it matter what the paper said? Then they stood in front of the justice, and he said all the words, and then she said her only other words of the day. I do, and that was that. Louise, the colored woman, had put out some sliced ham and some potato salad and a coconut cake. Nobody ate much. Will and Bodie had nothing to say to each other anymore except to talk about the old days, and that didn't seem right on his wedding day, so they kept quiet. Alma tried to get Sylvan to talk, but she just looked pretty and nodded her head, as though she'd been hypnotized. The justice regretted his own hot dinner waiting at home, and the foremen were embarrassed for their employer and for the girl. So they ate quickly what little they ate, and then they left. 
Will and Alma stayed a while longer in the awkward silence, with Sylvan, now Mrs. Glass, sitting still and pretty as a porcelain doll. But they were gone pretty quickly, too, and the colored woman cleaned up while Boaty and his new bride sat in the parlor, and then they were alone and Sylvan took off her shoes. Boaty thought he should maybe talk to her, but he'd almost never been alone with a woman except for his mother, and he had no idea what to say. You need a bathroom, was all he could think of. So he showed her the way and stood outside listening while she was in there, noticing that she didn't wash her hands after the toilet flushed. Kind of made him nervous. When she came out, he looked at her and, without a word, walked in and began filling the tub. He handed her some fancy French soap he'd bought, his only wedding present and took her gently by the elbow and led her into the bathroom, then left her alone. There was silence for a long time, as though she didn't know what to do. Then Bodie heard her clothes dropping on the floor and heard her slowly settling herself into the water. He listened to it all. She was naked in the hot water. It excited him. After half an hour, she came out, dressed, her hair clinging to her damp neck. They went back to sit in the parlor, but he could still smell it on her, or thought he could. The pig shit, the outhouse, the moonshine that had run in her family's veins for generations. He got up, filled the bath again, and she seemed to know what to do, and he stood outside the door again listening. She never said a word to him all day. She didn't smile. She didn't look troubled, either. She was just blank. He made her bathe three times that afternoon until all the towels were damp on their hooks, and he finally could sit in his own living room with his own wife and not smell the stink of country on her. By the time she was done, clean to his satisfaction, her skin had the color of the sun setting outside and it was time to eat again, so they sat down to two plates left out by Louise, covered in wax paper, and they ate a little, and then they went upstairs to bed. She was so shy and so inept that he knew her father had been telling the truth. He hadn't expected her to rush at him, but he also realized he didn't exactly know what to do either. So he just took off his clothes except for his boxer shorts, big, voluminous pattern things, tented now, he noticed, with some embarrassment. He laid his suit and tie and shirt neatly on a chair. Then he lay down on the bed, grunting with the effort to lower himself, a big, hairy melon on a chenille bedspread. After a while, she began to take off her clothes, but not before she drew down the shades, even though it was only half dark, and even though it would serve to make the room even more stifling. She turned away from him and, naked now, backed her way toward the bed, just the way her mother had told her. She was just barely seventeen years old. She felt older than her mother. It caught her by surprise when the back of her knees hit the edge of the mattress, and she tumbled back against his belly. 
and he saw her for the first time. The first time he'd seen any woman naked, in fact, and even though he knew what to expect, he was still startled. Startled by the vastness of her, her expanse of skin, her breasts, her deep pink nipples, the shimmer of her skin, pale and powdery everywhere except her arms and her face. All the women from all the magazines under his bed were now lying on him, touching his skin with skin that was sweet but strangely frightening, unlike the girls in the pictures whose skin was glossy and inviting. He pulled her on top of him and kissed her. She didn't kiss him back. He rolled her over and lay on top of her as she closed her eyes, and he did what he was supposed to do, what he'd waited 48 years to do in his own bed. She didn't respond, but she didn't seem to mind either. It didn't take long. When it was over, he lay beside her in the room that was now dark, neither of them even close to sleep. She got up and went to the bathroom, and when she came back, the blood was gone from her legs. And Bodhi looked down and discovered to his horror that there was also blood on his shorts. So he pulled a clean pair from the drawer and went into the bathroom and put them on. He didn't know what to do with the soiled ones. He didn't want Louise to find him in the laundry basket. So when he came out, his new blue shorts replaced with his favorite green ones, the color of spring leaves, he rolled the blue ones up and put them at the back of his closet, underneath some shoes, to be tossed out later with the trash. When he lay back down on the bed, grunting again, she didn't even turn to look at him. He took her hand as they lay in the dark, waiting for sleep, his sweaty palm engulfing her dry one until she pulled it away and rubbed it on the bedspread. In the dark afterward, listening to the night, he decided he didn't think much of it. He didn't see what all the fuss was about. Maybe he'd done it wrong, but he didn't think so. It wasn't the kind of thing Bodhi would think about himself anyway. And besides, how many ways could there be to do it? No, he didn't think it was all that great, this thing he'd waited for and dreamed about for 48 lonely years and he didn't suppose that he'd make it a regular thing. Maybe once a week. Maybe. Maybe.